It's good to be in church, isn't it? Well, there's a, a bunch of our young adults away this morning. I don't know how many it is, but are away at their young adults camp. So we're praying that whatever's happening there this morning, they're having a great time and uh, encountering God. Who's, who's believing for that? For our young adults, which will be awesome. Hey, we've been in a series around the gospel and Paul Bennett has preached two parts to it and he's graciously allowed me to preach part three, which is good of him. And uh, if, if the truth be told, I gave him the three difficult topics and I chose Christ's cross. Uh, and that's what we're up to this morning. But we've called this series The Gospel. And the gospel being what? What is the gospel? The good news. You've been through this one, haven't you? The good news brings what? Great joy. For who? I could sit down now, but I'm not going to. The gospel, the good news, brings great joy to all people. I just want to pause on that for a moment. Because I think there are people here this morning who, when you think about the good news, there are people in your life that you think, I'm not sure if it's good news for them. I'm not sure if they'd want to hear it. Maybe it's workmates, maybe it's family. I don't know who it is. Maybe you think it's not relevant for them or they've shown a kind of just a, a, a negativity towards your faith journey and what you believe. But I want to tell you this morning, that, that prophesies to that. That the good news brings great joy for all people. There is nobody that the good news cannot bring great joy into their life. They may not recognize it right now. They may not notice it, but I'm telling you now, if you've given up praying, start again. Pray for them. Say, God, well, we know that the good news brings great joy, and it's for all people. Don't quit on those who are showing negativity towards your faith. Don't decide in your heart that, well, I won't try anymore. I'll tell you what, push in in prayer. Is that all right this morning? Don't quit on them. Church, this is what it's all about. It's good news for all people. Therefore, we don't decide in our hearts who it's for and who it can reach. We just trust God. So be a people of prayer and don't quit. The good news, as I said, the founding father of Life Church graciously gave me this message. But he's already looked at in the first week how God created us, humankind. He created us in his own image, male and female. He created them and he created us in his own image. The idea that there is a creator, there is a designer, God the Father creating the world that we know, that which we see and which we understand, the people in it, God created it and created us in his image. That's good news to start with. Last week, Paul looked at the fall and the origin of sin in the Garden of Eden, where Adam and Eve played the blame game to find fault. Adam blamed Eve, Eve blamed the serpent, and Adam even blamed God, correct? So right in the garden at the original sin where we see the fall, Adam and Eve are looking for someone to blame. In other words, they're not receiving the truth that, hey, maybe I had a part in this. We're looking to put the blame onto someone else because we don't like guilt and shame that comes with our sin. And I think it's the same today. People still look to shift blame to somebody else. It's like, it must have been someone else's fault the way that I've turned out or what I chose to do can't be a result of my own sin. It's a result of what someone else has done to me. That's the way why I behave the way I behave. I don't know if this resonates with anyone else, but it's true for me because I'm never wrong. I'm never at fault. It's got to be somebody else's fault that they did it. And so I look to shift blame, and I think we do that. But you know what I've discovered about God is when we accept the truth, 
and we turn to God in a place of truth, and we say, God, I recognize I've done some wrong, and this, the grace of God rests upon our lives. Blame shifting doesn't bring peace and settle our hearts. Accepting the truth that, God, I'm flawed and I'm sinful and I've messed up is when the grace for forgiveness and mercy rests upon my life. But Adam and Eve played the blame game. Shame and guilt then became a part of human beings' life. It brought a separation between us and the Creator God. That was this truth for Adam and Eve and in some ways has been true for us. The idea that God's first question to Adam and Eve was, where are you? I love that when Paul said that. Where, where are you? You're thinking, well, you weren't here. How did you hear it? I listened to it during the week. That's how I know what he preached on. Where are you? See, they would fashioned fig leaves to hide and cover themselves up, and they hid from God, and God wanted to know where they are. And there are still people today on planet Earth hiding from God, and God is still searching for them. But because of shame and guilt, they hide from God. And I'm not just talking about people outside of the church. I'm talking about all kinds of people hiding from God, haven't understood the grace of God through the Lord Jesus Christ, so we we still hide from Him. Shame causes people to hide. Guilt causes people to hide. Now let me just say this before I get any further. You are wonderful. You're incredible. You're incredibly good looking. You're made in the image of God, there's no doubt. You are positively outstanding. I hope you feel built up because I want to build you up before I bring you down just a little bit. You're wonderful people. Have you got that? I love you a lot. You're awesome. You're fantastic. But you are also totally broken and flawed, and you mess up regularly. And even the best of us is far from perfect. Paul said last week, God lovingly gave us the ability to think, feel, and dream. I love that. In other words, we weren't created to be robots in relationship with God. In fact, God breathed into us life and he gave us a soul, mind, will, and emotions, the ability to think and imagine the emotions that come with our life is pretty incredible that God gave us emotions, but also free will. He gave us the will to choose. I love that about God because it makes our relationship with him much more powerful. The way it was designed to be a loving relationship that was chosen by both parties We get to love from a place of freedom rather than a place of order or control. God didn't establish control or order. He didn't make us do it. He gave us the desire and the will to choose to be in a loving relationship with him. But free will also gives us the power to make wrong decisions, doesn't it? It hurt us. And ever since the wrong decision that Adam and Eve made right in the beginning of Genesis, we still see that truth of that today. We make decisions that hurt us, that are bad for us, that are wrong for us. My free will only this week probably meant that I've made a wrong decision or five. I chose selfishness instead of sacrifice, put self ahead of others, used my free will to serve my own interests, driven from a place of self-centered living. This is the truth and truth, probably a daily issue for me anyway. See, when I'm arrogant or domineering or prideful or think wrong thoughts, I'm going against God's intended design for how I should live my life. But hey, I'm broken and I'm flawed. You're broken and you're flawed. Have we got that this morning? Do we understand that we live out of self-centeredness quite a lot of the time? 
We're on a journey to becoming selfless. And we're on a journey to becoming like Christ. But in our flawed state, we make bad choices probably on a daily basis. That's all of us in this room. It's all of us actually on planet Earth. See, we each get it wrong regularly. The Bible puts it this way, Romans 3, verse 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Do you notice the word all? All have sinned and fall short. It's assumed here that the glory represents divine presence of God and the privilege we have for direct communion with God. Because of sin, we no longer have the original intended relationship with God. And we all, because of sin, fall short of the standard required to have that kind of relationship with him. It's because of the the state of our lives, the way we live, that we can never meet the standard required to have the close, intimate relationship with God the Father. And something must be done. I know the good news is well overdue at this point. But you see now a sacrifice needs to be made. Blood needs to be shed to atone for our sin because there has to be a harsh consequence for sin. The Bible says of sin in Romans 6 verse 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Sin has a consequence. It results as a result sorry, of our deception that deserves judgment. The result of sin is death or eternal separation from God. There are two ways to pay for the consequence of sin. The first is we pay with death, eternal separation from God. The second is a substitute can pay the price for us. God had a plan to pay the price, to place a substitute in our place. This is where we begin to get a glimpse of the good news. You see, sin is common to every human being, but a substitute is also offered for the sins of all human beings. It's the gift of God offered to us, eternal life through the substitute of Jesus Christ. That's going to begin the seed of good news in your heart as you understand. I know many of us in this room, this isn't new news, but it's still good news that God sent a substitute in the form of Jesus Christ to pay the price and the penalty of our sin that we were never going to be able to pay for ourselves. We need to be reminded of that. We need to keep the wow over the good news of what Jesus Christ has done. The whole power of our gospel is that God planned to redeem us all, to set right that which was wrong once and for all, to pay the ransom price to free all people from the hold of sin and what sin had on them. Mark 10, 45. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus was the ransom. Jesus was the sacrifice. He didn't come to be served. He came to serve. He came to give his life up for ours. He came to pay the price, to pay the ransom, to set us free. And Jesus turns up in the story, Jesus being the exact representation of God in human form. The picture of what we have actually been created 
to be like. That's the image that we've been created and made in, is the image that we see in Jesus Christ because he's the perfect representation of God in human form. And here's Jesus, perfect and without sin. 1 Peter verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 18 and 19 says, For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver and gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed, handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Jesus was perfect. Jesus was without sin. This was to be a game changer and was a game changer for all of us. Is this Jesus actually who he claims to be? Is Jesus truly the Son of God? Is he who he says he is? Bryant Gumbel was interviewing Larry King on CNN. And Bryant Gumbel asked Larry King this question. If you could ask God only one question, Larry, what would it be? Larry King said, I would ask him if he had a son. I would ask him if he had a son. In other words, is, is Jesus really, is it true? Did, did you have a son? Did he come to earth? Is he who he said he is? Like, okay, I can get the concept that there's a God out there somewhere, but is the God we're talking about the one who had a son who walked on the earth, went to the cross, and paid the price for the sins of mankind? Is that who we're talking about? Larry wants to know, is it the God who had a, a son? The question on people's minds is whether Jesus is who he claimed to be. Many people can say, oh, I think there was a Jesus. He's probably a good man, maybe a prophet, a teacher. Are people really interested? I think they are. They really want to know, is Jesus who he said he really is? Listen to this article, and I only pulled out a part of it. Of all the people who have ever lived since the dawn of civilization, there have been about 60 billion people that have walked planet Earth. Of those 60 billion people who have walked planet Earth, only a handful have made any real lasting impression, have actually changed the world. And in that handful of people, there is one who stands head and shoulders above all of the others, and his name is Jesus. More attention has been given to him. More devotion has been given to him. More criticism has been given to him. More adoration has been given to him. More opposition has been given to this one person than all of the others. Every recorded word that he has said has been more sifted, analyzed, scrutinized, debated. Every word than all of the other historians and philosophers and scientists put together. Yet he was here 2,000 years ago. And after 2,000 years, there is never one minute on this earth that millions are not studying what he said. Think about it. Think about it. Here's a person who lived in a minuscule, tiny little land two millenniums ago, and yet his birth divides the centuries A.D., B.C., before Christ, and Anno Domini, the year of our Lord. People are interested. More than interested, they want to know the truth about Jesus Christ. And I want to just say to you this morning that your life, aside from the Word of God, is the best book they can ever read. What Jesus Christ has done in you and through you and for you, they can't argue with. It's your testimony and it's your story. And people are interested in if, if Jesus is really who he says he is, and you have the answer. You may not have a theology, you may not know the doctrine, but you know that you know that Jesus Christ saved you and set you free. You know what transformation looks like 
in your life. You know what you were before and who you are now. You know the truth of the cross and what it represents for you. If you don't know that you know that you know that to be true, you're crazy for even being here. Unless you're searching. And if you are, this is the best place you could ever choose to be. See, we know in this room, most of us in this room know that Jesus Christ is the real deal. Because he showed up and he's transformed our lives. You might be the best book they will ever read. Why do you love Jesus? Why do you come to a building on a Sunday and gather with other people and sing about this man Jesus? Why do you do that? If he's not real, you're insane. If he's not real, you're crazy. But you know that you're not crazy unless you're sitting wondering whether you're just a little bit insane. You're not sure. No, you're sure. You gather with other people because you know that Jesus Christ is who he said he is and he's still changing lives today like he has been throughout eternity. You know that's true. And that's why you show up and gather with others. In my mind, that's why the building should be full of people multiple times over. Christians want to gather with other Christians to celebrate what Jesus has done for them. It's exciting. You may be the best book they'll ever read. People may agree, as I said, that he's a great teacher. And that's interesting when you study what Jesus said about himself. If he's just a great teacher, well, he claimed to be the Christ. He claimed to be the Messiah. That was his teaching. I am the one you search for. He came, he knew who he was, and he taught it. So if Jesus is a great teacher, what did he teach? He taught that he was the Christ. Christianity is all about believing in and following Jesus Christ. Jesus is not just a great man. He's not just a historical figure, a teacher, or a way among many ways. He's the only way. And Jesus made sure of that, and he taught that he is the only way to the Father. There isn't another way. And I don't care what the world might say, There is not another way to eternity apart from accepting the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. That's your way to eternity. He is the only way. There isn't many ways. John 6, 40. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in Him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. This is central to it all accepting who Jesus is and believing he is the only true way to eternity is where we receive our salvation. Jesus was the one and the only one who could pay the ultimate penalty for the sins of mankind. The stuff that would separate us from God and his ultimate plan for us, for relationship with you and I, Jesus was the only one who could pay the price and be a sacrifice for us. His blood would be shed, would be poured out for the payment of our sins. God would no longer leave us stranded, and I love this, in guilt and shame formed by our fallen nature and our sin. Only this morning as I was preparing for this, was I giving thanks again that God sent Jesus. Because even after the week I've had, and it's been a pretty good week on a sin scale, it's not been anything on the major, the major stuff. I don't have a major confession, but there's been some bad attitudes. There's been some things that have been really wrong in my thinking, even about who I am. 
And I'm so thankful that God sent Jesus that I don't have to stay trapped by my guilt and shame. That it's not about me being good enough. We know this, don't we? It's not about us being good enough or working harder. It's about us accepting the righteousness of Christ. When he died on the cross and he shed his blood for us, there was a transaction on that cross that took place. And it was a transaction that would last for all eternity where he would take our sin, our shame, our guilt upon himself. And we would receive his righteousness. In other words, his right standing with God. His perfect relationship with God the Father we would receive. We didn't deserve it, but it was the gift of God to send Jesus Christ. Now, sending Jesus was no last-minute decision by God. God didn't suddenly look down on the earth and think, help, it's really going bad. Far out, I've been caught by surprise, so I better send Jesus. Jesus, you're in. You've got to go because they're really messing up life far more than I ever planned them to. No, no, God wasn't caught by surprise. God always had a plan. Right from the beginning, when the fall first happened, God pointed to a time when he would send a savior as a sacrifice on our behalf to deal with sin once and for all. God spoke into our fallen condition in Genesis 3:15, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. In other words, the Savior who would go to the cross and defeat the sin and the fallen nature and defeat death would come and would be victorious. God pointed to it in Genesis. The day would come. God immediately had a plan to send a substitute who would be bruised, but through the pain of his bruising, he would finally crush Satan along with sin and along with death. The Bible says that Jesus died according to the scriptures. The cross was God's plan to take away all that was wrong and broken from the fall and make it right and make it whole again. Throughout the Old Testament, prophets saw this day coming. And I I want to read from Isaiah chapter 53. We had it on the screen, the beginning of the service, verse 4 through to verse 7. Surely he took up our pain, bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid it on him, the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. Is anyone grateful that God sent Jesus Christ to take all of our iniquities upon himself? The punishment that was deserved to us, he took upon himself. Is it good to be reminded this morning that Jesus Christ, the perfect Son of God, came like a sheep to be led to the slaughter, to pay the price that we could never pay for ourselves. He became that substitute upon the cross. Because of the cross, and I love this, we can now come boldly into the presence of God. Is anybody else thankful for this? Like the separation's been done away with. Meaning because of what Jesus Christ has done, 
we can come to this place this morning freely entering into the presence of God. There's not a ritual we have to go through in order to come into the presence. We are free to come into the presence of God. Why wouldn't you want to gather in church? Why wouldn't you want to come into a great time of worship where we can really sing about who Jesus is and enter his presence? Because of Jesus, we have freedom to do just that. We have freedom to do that on Monday morning, Tuesday morning, every day of the week, every moment. You are free to come into the presence of God. We don't have to hide from God, afraid of what he might find or discover in our lives. We get to come boldly knowing that Jesus Christ paid the price for all of that mess and all of that sin. Does he want it to change? Yes, he does. Does he work with us on change? Yes, he does. But it does not mean you have to work on it all before you can come to the presence of God. You can come freely into his presence. We are no longer covered by superficial fig leaves to hide our guilt and shame. Who's thankful for that? We're covered by the sacrifice of the cross. There is a way back to God's original design. We can live the dream of the Garden of Eden and walk with God as planned. And it's Jesus who's made the way for us. That's good news, isn't it? It's good news. It's Jesus. The cross is our source of redemption, atonement, reconciliation, justification, and salvation. Redemption. We have been redeemed. It means we've been purchased back from the slavery to sin into freedom. To be redeemed means that we were once deemed. The word deemed means valued. When God created mankind in his own image, they were valued, greatly valued. And Jesus Christ, because of the cross, redeemed us, revalued us. Listen, I want you to understand something. You are valuable this morning because of what Jesus Christ has done for you. And there are many in this room who would say, you know what, I don't feel very valuable. I've been abused. I've been beaten on. I've had all sorts of things happen in my life. Can I just say this? Don't let mankind give you your value. Let God give you your value through Jesus Christ. That's what makes you valuable. You're a son and a daughter of God. This has been such a revelation in my life. This has been the number one revelation, probably. Probably. It is in this moment anyway. To know that I'm a son of God. Beyond everything else, all the mess that's happened in my life, I'm a son of God. That gives me eternal value. I want God to be the one through Jesus Christ that sets your value for you. When you know that you're valuable, you'll step up in service to him. You'll no longer hide from him. You won't be afraid to worship God with everything you've got. You won't be worrying about what people think because you don't get your value from what people think about you. You get your value from who God said you are, a son and a daughter of God. I think that's good preaching. I think that's really good this morning. That's redemption. And somebody needs to hear that this morning. God redeemed your value through Jesus Christ. Don't let people, as I said, set your value. Don't let them determine your worth. God did that for you. You're a child of God. You have endless value to him. Don't give your self-worth to people, but take your value from the fact that Jesus Christ went to the cross for you. That's how much he values you. If you were the only person that ever walked on the planet, he still would have done it. That's how much he loves you. Atonement means that by the cross we become one with God. We're no longer separate from him, but the blood of Jesus sets us free to live completely at peace with God. 
reconciliation. We're again on good terms with God. Who thinks that's great? We're on good terms with God. It's how he designed it in the beginning that we could have an intimate relationship with him. We could walk and talk and be in relationship with God. He made sure he reconciled that relationship. Reconciliation, justification, means we were made to be again as if we'd never sinned. Oh, I like that. When God looks at us, he sees the righteousness of Christ. So it's not only is it limited to that, but it is also that it's as if we've never done anything wrong. We receive his righteousness. Are you hearing this this morning? You can measure your sin, but I would say this. It's the righteousness of Christ that makes the difference. When you come to him, I said it earlier, you come that place of repentance, acknowledgement that, Lord, I've done stuff, there's stuff. Listen, the grace of God settles on you, and the righteousness of Christ is placed upon your life. When God looks at you, he sees you as righteous. Salvation means that we are saved from the penalty of sin. We've been granted our freedom. We sung about it this morning. That's why when I got up and closed off worship, I felt like, Lord, would you just wake our spirits up afresh? to the truth and the revelation again of what Jesus has done. I've been a Christian now for about 22 years. I remember when I finally gave my life to Jesus, and I, it took some time. I'd been coming to church and been in the community for some time, but I remember that moment where I recognized this Jesus is the real deal. These people I've been spending my time with, they're not insane. <laughs> I thought they were to start with, but they're not. There's something real in this. If people can love me the way that they're loving me, I want to give my life to this Jesus. I want to follow the same journey that they have. We don't want to lose our sense of wow about what Jesus Christ has done. And I'm not speaking to you, I'm speaking to me. Carl, don't don't lose the amazement and the awe of what Jesus has done. We're talking about planting a campus. It's now four weeks away. The whole idea of that is the Great Commission to reach people with the truth of who Jesus is. For that to get full traction, we have to again have a fresh sense of, wow, what Jesus did for me, I want others to know this. I don't just want them to know the form and come to community and just, just, just be that, that be their experience. No, no, I want them to know Jesus. I want them to know the truth of what he's done for them. The cross changed everything. Christ defeated sin and death. He overcame the enemy for us. He paid the price for our fallen sinful ways once and for all. Your life is a marker. Your life is a sign to the world that is far from God, that Jesus' death and resurrection changes absolutely everything. Your testimony is powerful. It's a representation of the freedom that Christ truly offers people. The world is far more interested than you think. People are far more confused about this world than they possibly care to admit. What happens when I die? What happens once it's all said and done? People are more interested. They've got bigger questions and more questions than maybe you realize they did. Church, we have the good news that brings great joy to all people. And his name is Jesus Christ. We carry the truth of who he is in our hearts wherever we go. We've got the answers. Brings that great joy to people. It's good for us to also be reminded of the good news we have this morning. To again allow the truth of the cross to bring us a fresh sense of that joy. I wonder how much joy you've got in your heart. Beyond all your circumstances, beyond all that you're facing, beyond all 
that is going on in your life? Have you got the joy? And I would just say again, spend some time. Focus on the cross. Start to give thanks to Jesus for what he's done. This will lift you out of the pit you find yourself in. So begin to act on gratitude. Lord, I am so grateful for what you've done for me. Lord, I know I'm going through some stuff right now, but I thank you that when all is said and done, I will spend eternity in heaven with you. I give you thanks that my eternity is secured, not through what I have done or I can do, but what you did on the cross. Yes, Lord, I'm broken. Yes, Lord, I'm flawed. But I give thanks that that doesn't mean that I miss out. And you begin to give thanks. I'll tell you, joy begins to come in your heart. In a moment, we're going to take communion. And Jesus told his disciples, take this cup and this bread to remember him, to remember the sacrifice he made for them. And today, it's a good day for us to do exactly that. And we wanted to create space and create an opportunity for us to gather and have communion. My prayer has been that as we do that, as we share in communion, we would get a fresh sense of joy in our hearts, that gratitude would begin to well up again for the price that Jesus has paid. The point is to take communion and remember what Jesus has done. Matthew 26, verse 26 to 28 says, While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. We need to remember the good news, church, that we have. Remember what Jesus has done for every single one of us, not just for everyone else, but for all of us. The way we do communion here at Life Church is that we gather together. We, we have stations around the auditorium where you can find the cup and the bread. And if you're gluten-free, then I think on my right, you're left just here. There's gluten-free option and it's a chance to get out of your seat. We'll put a CD on. You get out of your seat. We just encourage you to gather with others and just to gather and pray. And today, I really want you just to begin to pray and give thanks. God, we choose today as the church to remember. Lord, awaken it again, the revelation in our spirit. Let it bring great joy to our hearts. Maybe you were here this morning. You've been on a journey of this faith, discovering who Jesus is. Maybe you've never made a decision to follow Jesus. Maybe you've been considering faith for a while and you find yourself here this morning. I encourage you, the Bible says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you can be saved or you will be saved. Maybe you're at that point this morning or maybe you're just on the journey. If that's you, while everybody's just coming out of their seat, here's an encouragement. I'd love you to just make your way down to the front to meet me because I'd love to pray with you. I'd love to meet with you. I'd love to even have a conversation with you if that's possible. Maybe that's you, you're on that journey. If that's where you're at today, don't, don't leave without making a connection because we'd love to help you on that journey of faith. Or maybe you are ready to accept Jesus into your heart. We'd love to pray a prayer with you and be a part of that decision. Would you stand with me, church? I'm just going to pray and then we'll put on a CD and just going to encourage you to, you've said hello to some people this morning in that 30-second hello. Maybe there's someone that's sitting around you that's new. Would you invite them, encourage them to be a part of communion with you this morning? Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you. With a fresh sense of joy in our hearts, we say thank you, Lord, for what you have done. 
You went to the cross. You paid the price. You became that substitute. You paid that penalty. You paid the ransom that we could be set free. Lord, we thank you this morning for the transaction of the cross. Thank you that our sin is gone, but the righteousness of Christ has been placed upon us. We thank you, Lord, that though we walk through this world and it can be difficult, we have the truth that Jesus Christ paid the price and guaranteed our eternal salvation, that we would spend eternity with God in heaven. Thank you, God, for sending Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross for us. And Jesus, when you died, you spoke to your disciples and you said, I will send you another advocate, the Holy Spirit. And so, Holy Spirit, we thank you that you are here right now. You are here, and I pray that as we come to this time of communion, Holy Spirit, would you revive afresh? Would you bring our spirits alive afresh? Fill us with great joy and gratitude for what Jesus Christ has done. Amen.